Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So that's why we baptize Trinitarian way, because of the triune Godhead, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. <clears throat> now this morning, I want to teach on the significance of water baptism, the significance of water baptism. Let's pray. Father, help me for a few moments as we get into this lesson. Let it be clear. Let it speak to every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can see that part of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 was for his disciples to go. And then we also notice that they are to teach what they learned from him, but they're specifically to ensure that they baptize people in water. And he did not ask them to do what he himself did not submit to have done to him. We know from the relationship with his cousin John the Baptist that Jesus went into the Jordan River, was immersed, he came out of the waters. We also know from reading the book of Acts over and over again that when believers were baptized, they went down into the water. That's what happened with Philip and the Ethiopian. Ethiopian was on the chariot. He was hearing Philip teach. And then he said, here is some water. What is hindering me from being baptized? And the Bible says they got out of the chariot and went down into the water. Well, Jesus understood that uh, water baptism was significant because, as I said, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And then the Gospel of John says that Jesus didn't baptize anybody but his disciples. So they were baptized. Baptism in water symbolizes discipleship. It symbolizes our relationship with God. And it's our desire <clears throat> to publicly witness what God is inwardly doing in our hearts through the water baptism. And it was of such significance that Jesus made this statement. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, he did not say, he that is baptized but doesn't believe shall be saved. That is to say that anybody, I've seen a lot of people get baptized in water that weren't even believers. In fact, in a whole lot of different churches where they pour or they sprinkle, they certainly have poured water and sprinkled people who definitely were not believers. But I know that as a pastor, you can take someone and you can put them down under the water, but if there's nothing that ever took place in their heart, there won't be a change of life at all when they come out. This is what people mean when they say you can go down a dry devil and come up a soaking wet one. But Jesus made the statement that in the days of Noah, that things would return in the last days to resemble what happened in the days of Noah. We know in the days of Noah they were marrying. We know that there was a lot of bad stuff taking place, violence and so on and so forth. But it wasn't until Peter put pen to paper and told us about the ark that we really began to think about 
the symbolism of baptism in water with Noah's Ark. And I think for us, it's very important because the, the scripture is clear. When the world was filled with sin and iniquity, God wanted to communicate with all of these folks. So he found a man by the name of Noah. And the Bible says that Noah began to proclaim the truth of God's word to a people living entirely in disobedience. And let's never forget, he did this for over a century as he was building the ark. So the truth had to be proclaimed, and wherever there's disobedience, there needs to be someone that'll be a mouthpiece for God to tell people to turn from their sin. And that's what he was. He was one of few, because there were only eight that made it in the ark. That means that everybody else was living in sin, doing their own thing, and, and God had to call this man to preach his message of righteousness. And that's what God has for us as a church to be the pillar and ground of truth, to be his spokespeople in the earth. <clears throat> we know that people don't want to hear what God's people have to say, but a disobedient generation doesn't want to hear God's truth at all, but they still need to hear it whether or not they want to hear it. And every day that Noah was on this planet and Noah was building that ark and Noah was preaching the righteousness of God, there were giants in the land in those days. There were people committing all kinds of sins, and they hated Noah. But the Bible says that Noah still preached the word of God. And in the last days, Jesus said that is how it's going to be right now. Before the coming, the return of the Son of Man, there would be people that wouldn't want to hear the truth. And I don't think any of you in here would doubt that we live in a generation that's not interested in God. They're not interested in hearing the truths of God unless they're godly people. But we have a culture now that essentially is anti-God unless the God you're preaching is someone who embraces all of the wickedness and the sinfulness of the present culture. But we also learn from Noah's generation that God waited patiently. Notice 1 Peter 3 verse 20. When the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. God loved those people so much. For over a century, he waited to see if people would turn. Now, he already knew who would and who wouldn't. But in his compassion and in his mercy, he waited. Do we have that kind of compassion? Do we have that kind of long suffering? Sometimes when we pray and we ask God to do something, if God doesn't do it as quick as we want him to do it, then we get angry and upset. But I've used this analogy plenty of times, and it works here on this occasion also. If, if you didn't start walking with God seriously until you were 45 or 50 or 55, the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts now as a Christian. That means that if, if God waited on you 55 years for you to really get him, you should be willing to wait on somebody else 55 years when you start praying for them. Sometimes we think if God doesn't just jump the moment we say jump, or if God doesn't move the moment I pray that I'm not going to serve him. Well, you're hurting yourself. You're not hurting God. God is compassionate, and God puts up with atheists, that shake their fists at them and say there is no God. 
when God puts up with rebellion, with people that are worshiping in other religions, and in his love, and in every morning, he allows these people to get up every day. So our lifestyle today is to be merciful and compassionate to people that are rebellious. I'll be honest with you, if I'm, if I'm at a car place or I'm in some public and they've got a television on and, and I'm sitting there waiting for something to be done and then I look up and there's that show, The View, and I'm, you know, I'm ready to throw the television, throw stuff at the television. I'm ready to ask them to turn the television off because everything in that mentality is contrary to what I believe and what I understand the scriptures to say. However, I also know that God is giving them one day after another to repent. He's given them one occasion after another to repent. And my prayer for them should be, God, bring someone into their life who can speak the truth of your word to them, and maybe with that truth, you can turn them in a different direction. <clears throat> Believe me, I can be as emotional as anybody else when it comes to politics and religion, but I know that God waits patiently on mankind. He waited on me. He waited patiently on my family. Think of how he waited on you. Maybe you're the first person in your family to truly become a Christian. Maybe you're the second. Or maybe you come from a long line of people that knew the Lord. But think of the families out here that don't know God. And God stands back every day just waiting for one of them to come in. But with everything that Noah did, we do know that there was a response to what he preached. You say, who responded to it? His wife and his kids. Yeah, they responded to it. When, when they entered the ark, the Bible says there was eight of them. That's Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. That means he preached the gospel and his family heard them, heard the word. He, he must have lived a life that, that caused them to, to find him and, and mom respectable, to listen to what they said. And, and I believe that it is God's desire that your children follow you into the ark of salvation, but they can only respond to a word that you share with them. If you don't talk to them about God, then they'll never know anything about the God that you love and you serve. You may find that sometimes it's not the easiest thing to do, certainly not the most pleasant thing to do, you know as well as I do, witnessing the family is difficult. And they're typically the ones that will say the harshest things to you because nobody can hurt you like your spouse or like your children and your grandchildren or your siblings. They, they can say things that really can just break you and bring you to tears. And all you're trying to do is show the heart of God to them. However, it still has to be revealed. Somebody has to talk to them about God. Whether they want to hear that or not, they need to know the truth because the Lord is able to bring about a response when truth is presented. Now, the reaction can be good or the reaction can be bad, but it's, it's imperative that they hear it. And this is what we're doing in the last days before the return of the Lord. We're trying to tell as many people as we can. Save yourselves. Get into the ark of salvation. Come to know Christ as your Savior. Do not allow yourself to be caught 
outside the ark when the Lord comes, when judgment breaks out. Be prepared and be spiritually equipped. Now, having said that, I want to emphasize that the ark of salvation that Noah designed was made by God. Well, I should say Noah built it, but it was designed by God. Genesis 6 verse 14 tells us that God spoke to Noah and said, look, I want you to build this thing so long, 300 cubits. I want you to make it so wide, 50 cubits, and I want it to be so tall, 30 cubits. I want you to gather food for you to eat on one of the levels, and I want you to go throughout the creation of the animal kingdom and I don't care how you do it, trap them, whatever you got to do, you get two by two. Get them animals on that ark. Now, you think about that. Now, he, Noah had to build the ark, and, and if God didn't bring those animals to where Noah was, Noah was a, he was a real trapper because he, he's got to get out there, and he's got to somehow corral these animals and get whatever he's got to get up on that ark. But, but here's the thing. All he had to do was build it. God showed him or told him what to do. That's the obedience that's necessary. Now, for us, we did not craft salvation on our own. God made it. He designed it. He's the one that came up with the plan that animals would be sacrificed, but all the way through the Bible, blood had to be shed for sin. And when Jesus came, he became the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world that takes away the sin of the world. Now, now somebody could turn around and say, you know what, I, I just really don't like that. I don't like the idea of a man dying on the cross for me and me having to believe in him. Well, it just really doesn't matter what you believe because that's just the way it was designed. Now, you, you can believe it and accept it and embrace it and enjoy it, or you can reject it and you can deal with what Noah's generation dealt with when they rejected that ark of salvation. Noah had to build something that had never been built before and that mankind had never seen. When you read the Bible, you don't see anything about any ships before Noah's day at all. You don't hear anything about any seafaring men or women going back and forth. No Viking ladies and guys going back and forth that I've ever read anything about. But yet this man is out here building something. And I'm sure folks are looking at him and saying, that is a monstrosity if I've ever seen one in my life. Why in the world, Noah, would you build such a contraption? Well, well God's telling me that he's going to flood the earth and, and people are going to die. And, and I'm sure they were telling him, look, we've been here hundreds of years, hundreds of years. You're trying to tell me God is a God of love. Do you really think he's going to get rid of all of us and hold on to that little boat you're building and, and you, family, and, and everybody who rejects your message is going to be lost? But Noah never became disheartened. He kept swinging that hammer. He kept swinging that axe. He kept working on his salvation, and he kept preaching and telling people. And although in the last days there are people that mock us and tease us and make fun of the idea that one day the Lord is going to return, we have to continue to put our hands to the work and do what God has said. It doesn't matter if all the teasing and mocking is coming from people in your house. If they're saying to you, you're just superstitious and you're crazy to believe in all that, you let them say what they want. You believe the word of God and you walk with the king. 
because on the other side of your last breath is heaven for you, but it's going to be terrible for that man or woman that don't know God when they draw that last breath. You hear me? So there's got to be a response to the word, but, but this ark is something that is designed by God. Now, I want to hasten to say that there was no one in the ark that didn't know they were being saved. Everybody in the ark knew they were safe, and they knew they were being saved by the power of God. And the reason that's important is because when they were brought into the ark, that ark was then inundated with water. Remember the scripture says, 40 days <clears throat> and 40 nights, it rained. Now, we, we've had some, some times out here when we've had five or six days of, of rain. But, you know, that water's got to go somewhere. And if you've got a basement, sometimes you end up with a little leak somewhere, you know. All that water come down. Imagine that, 40 days and 40 nights. That means when God said to Noah, get your family and get in on that ark, Scripture says they got into the ark, and the Bible says the Lord closed them in. He's the one shut the door and locked them in. And from the inside, the Bible says, then it started to rain. So on the outside, all of this rain is coming down on that big super huge vessel, and I'm sure they could hear the rain coming down, pounding the tops of it, but on the outside, there are people out there trying to fortify whatever kind of dwelling places they had. Maybe people trying to make for, you know, the hills or whatever. But, but the water level is rising. And can you imagine being one of the eight? And as that water is coming up, and he's got a little window up top that the Lord told him to build so he can go up there and see what in the world is going on out there. And he looks down, and there are people on the outside, and they're banging on that thing. And they're likely saying, oh, my goodness, Noah, open up the door. Let us in. Door, let us in. Let our kids in. I've got a newborn here. Let, let, us, all, let us all in there. But yet Noah couldn't open up that door because the Lord had shut it. Absolutely shut it. And then there came that point in time when that ark, it, it just finally started doing this right here. Because it started rocking with that water. And then pretty soon, that rain continues to come down. So it's got water on the bottom, water coming down the top, water running down on the sides. This is what Peter was talking about when he said that the ark, being a symbol of baptism, that ark was baptized into the death of all of the folks that were on the outside of that ark. And Romans chapter 6 talks about us. When you leave sin and come into the kingdom of God, it says, don't you know that we who are Christian have been baptized into Jesus' death? And so we come up resurrected. The man or woman who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, the reason we follow Jesus in immersion in baptism is because once you go down in the water, you are figuratively saying, I'm laying down my old life, my old man, my old attitudes, and I'm and the resurrected life of Jesus Christ is manifested through me. That becomes a public witness to everybody about an evident work that takes place inside of you. So again, 
Everybody in the ark that was baptized knew that they were saved. Because they were saved the moment they entered the ark. This is why baptism is only of significance to people who are Christian. To people that are saved. Now I realize that <clears throat> across the land there are numerous churches that uh, baptize infants and, and we don't want to uh, attack uh, that other than to say this the biblical model is immersion when you look at every instance that ever occurred in the New Testament starting with Christ coming on down through the book of Acts it's always someone going down in the water and someone coming up. Now, if, if you think about it, and Peter, through his discussion here, says it this way. Verse 21, the like figure whereunto baptism doth now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience. The baptizee receives a good conscience toward God because they go down in the water. But, but do you realize that when, when you're, you're baptized as an infant, more for your parents and grandparents than it is for you? Yeah. And the reason I know that is because if I were to say to you, you know, tell me, tell me about when you were baptized as an infant, then you'd likely look at me and tell me you can't recall it. And if you were to go so far as to say, but it's still important to me, I mean, that would be like somebody saying, you know, Niagara Falls is important to me because when I was six days old, my parents took me there. And I've always had a special feeling for Niagara Falls. Now, you don't have a memory of it. You don't have a recollection of it. But I'll give it to you this way with, with other situations I have had to deal with, with, with families. In one of our other churches, I recall... Um, a family that heard me teaching on baptism and they said to me, uh, Pastor, I wish we would have known you years ago when our babies were born. I said, well, why is that? They said, because we didn't have this understanding. Said our, they were Lutheran background. They said, our, our parents and grandparents told us, you've got to get those kids baptized as soon as possible because if you don't, then what if they die in infancy, they'll go to hell. That's what they were telling the mom and the dad. Until so the mom and dad didn't believe what their family was saying, but the pressure was on, and, and the grandparents were having a hard time sleeping at night because those little kids hadn't gone through the ritual of baptism. And, and so in the end, they went on and, and relented. But, but here's the point, folks. There's a terrible misunderstanding about what happens to an infant when an infant passes. David ended up in adultery one time, and from that adulterous relationship, a baby was born. And the Bible says that the Lord told him, because of your adultery, the child will die. Well, David fasted, he prayed, and the more he fasted and prayed, he thought everything was gonna work out for the baby, but the baby died. After the baby died, he got up, washed his face, went back to the palace, told everybody, put some food out. He's hungry. They said, well, we don't understand you. 
says, when the baby was sick, you're fasting, praying, asking God to help the baby. Now the baby is gone. Rather than taking 40 days of grieving, you're calling for the food and you want to have a feast. He said, I thought maybe I could change God's mind, but I couldn't. However, he says, I know that, that the baby can't come back to me, but I'll go to be with the baby one day. And we know from the New Testament, even from Jesus' statement about David and the kingdom of heaven, that David went to heaven. So that means when a little infant passes away, that infant doesn't go to hell. That little infant returns to the one that gave that spirit and soul in the beginning. You understand? Another friend of mine, when I was doing my doctoral work down in Fort Lauderdale, I had a, 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 there was a, a man who was a theologian named John H. Gerstner. He passed away now, but he was a very popular guy. And he had told a story about him being at a Presbyterian church. And he said that he was there for baby baptism. And he said the preacher was getting everything set up around the pulpit area, and he said he had a little a bowl of water for uh, sprinkling the kid, and then he had these flowers over here, and he's going to take one flower and give it to the family. So he asked him, said, what's the bowl of water for? He said, the bowl of water is for the washing of the sin, because we're going to confer the covenant on the infant. And he said, what's the flower for? He said, the flower is for the baby's innocence. And so he said, okay, so what's the water for? He said, the water is to deal with the baby's sin. Then he said, okay, well, what's the flower for? Say the flower is for the baby's innocence, white carnation. And he was trying to show the preacher the confusion that he was setting in front of the people. Either the baby's a sinner or the baby's innocent. But you're trying to have it both ways. But you need to know that from the scripture, we know that no infant that comes into this world is guilty of actual sin. We're all born in sin, shaped in iniquity. That's what the Bible teaches. But you can't accuse a, an infant of knowing the difference between right and wrong or sin and righteousness. They don't have an idea what, what that is. So in terms of, of our baptism, then we, we realize then that what God is doing inside of us is going to be manifested by us going down in the water and following him. Everybody in the ark knew that they were saved, and they were saved before they were baptized. The day I was born on planet Earth was a glorious day, I imagine, for my mom and pops. But as I got older, they told me all about it. Oh, yes, they did. They told me about where uh, my dad was and how the neighbor had to take my mom down to the Ronald McDonald house and told me about how I was born late in the evening and all of that. So I got here and they told me all about it. But when I was born again, I told them all about it. Amen. See, I was there. See, and, and, and when, when that little toddler, that little child's an infant, and they put the water on it and they sprinkle it or they pour it, that's not for the child because the child isn't needing that right now. When the child comes to where he or she has a personal relationship with him, it's at that point they need to step into the water and give public witness for what God has done in their heart. We see this in Scripture. We follow this in Scripture, and we expect that, that God will continue to lead and guide people in that direction. 
So whether we down here at the river, as we've done on so many occasions, and I wade out there into the water, and then people come on out there, and everybody's singing, this is the day the Lord has made, we put them down in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and bring them up. Overseas, I've done it where we've sat people down in their tub in the bathroom because you can't have no open baptisms out in the Middle Eastern country. Them folks would cut heads off and take lives in a heartbeat because baptism is the one thing overseas that really signifies to people you become a Christian. If you start going to church, people are not going to be happy about that, but if they ever find out you became a baptized Christian, then your family likely going to shun you and they're going to castigate you and cause all kind of problems. But I've been right there in them underground churches in Saudi Arabia where I've laid them little teenagers down and pulled them back up or taken an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, and laid them down. But I always ask them beforehand, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Savior? I do. Do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? I do. Then upon your public profession of faith, I baptize you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's simple, but it's not often taught, but it's certainly biblical. You need to be saved in order for baptism to be of any importance or value to you. Because if you do it in reverse, then it's certainly just a ritual. It's certainly just a ritual. And we want you to understand that uh, clearly. Let me just say one other thing here. Uh, verse uh, 21, the last sentence, where it talks about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ who's gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Uh, when we go down into the water and come up out of the water, we are again acknowledging Jesus was raised from the dead. And he's the ascended Lord over our lives. And for so many of the people that I pastor who later on in life ended up being baptized again, uh, we, we just only say to you, we're grateful to be able to participate in that. Uh, we, we have no intention of putting anybody in any kind of bondage or condemnation at all in regard to this, we're only saying, as disciples, to the best of our ability, let's follow the king. I wish, and I wish, wish that we really could just get some kind of old stock tank or something that was portable that we could put out back here or put here. And uh, uh, then right after the services sometime, we could just go right out there and baptize people. We all could be there. I mean, I don't mind going down to the river. Everybody doesn't always want to go down to the river. I think you remember one time Pastor waded out there and had some people, and then my wife told me afterwards because I saw the little back and forth fluttering on the, on the, on the banks there. There's a, a snake or something that kind of swam out there behind me. I didn't, didn't see it. I'm glad I didn't see it. You just saw Pastor walk on water. <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, uh, we, I want people to be able to be baptized as soon as possible. Uh, I don't like to have to wait until the summertime when we have the anniversary, or I don't like to have to wait till somebody wants to go through six weeks of classes. Philip climbed up in a chariot with an Ethiopian eunuch, 
And he explained to him from the Bible who Jesus Christ was. And when that chariot passed a pond, that Ethiopian man said, what is keeping us from getting in that water right now? And Philip said, absolutely nothing at all. And they stopped that chariot, got right down in that water, and baptized them, and brought them right up. That is the plan of God. We don't want to wait to somebody backslide taking 19 weeks of classes on how not to believe God. But when you find somebody whose heart is aflame and they're saying, I'm ready, this is what I want to do, then we want to be able to baptize them. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's, it's, it is important. And it's a beautiful witness and a beautiful testimony. I've seen people get in that water and come up out of that water speaking in another language. I've seen people go down in that water and they come up and they're so happy and so joyful because they really feel like this is something great I've just done in my life. And I mean, when you come up and you see all them saints and family members around you and they're all clapping and we're screaming and hooting and hollering, oh, it's a wonderful time. So praise the Lord. If you haven't been baptized, we certainly do want to make sure we take care of that. If, um, if that's your desire, then you let us know. But let's pray. 